The following podcast may contain explicit language. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to The Little London Show, your favorite podcast for all your favorite things. Recorded in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Little London Show. I am Jeff. I am here without my extraordinary co-host, Darcy. She's uh, working, but I am overjoyed to have Deb Mahan with Gazette Charities. She is the executive director, is that Mm -hmm. your title? Mm -hmm. And along with her um, is program director at Elpamar Foundation, Jack. We're not going to use your last name, Jack. No, I would prefer you can if re- you didn't. You can remain anonymous. Uh, thank you. They're both redheads, so it'll be like staring into shark's eyes the entire show. But yep. apart from that, it should be a good show. <laughs> We're using Deb and Jack to kick off um, talking about the giving season. Uh, November 1st was the start of IndieGive. However, you are not part of IndieGive. We are not. We Correct. are an independent year-end campaign. You are? For 20 health and human service agencies. Okay. So we had you on last year. Yes, you did. It was great. I uh, loved it. We had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So we're adding something else in the mix by having Jack, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, so tell us, what is going on with Gazette Charities and the empty stocking fund this year? Anything changed from last year? A couple of or is this going to be like a super short show? No, a couple of significant changes this year. So as you know, this is our 35th year, 36th year, sorry, 35 years this campaign's been in the community since 1984, um, and it supports 20 health and human service agencies in our community that do all the amazing frontline work with our neighbors in need in our community. And We raised the third highest ever amount in the history of the 35-year campaign last year. We raised a million two oh six three seventy one is the exact amount. So over a million point two to the appearance on the Little London show of that total donation. I think that's probably exactly what pushed us. I think it's incalculable. I think it is. I think it's exactly what tipped us over the edge. So this year, because we're on the show, you will help us raise the highest amount we've ever raised in the 35 year history. The untold thousands that will donate from (laughs) listening to this show. Untold cents that the Little London Show (laughs) contributed into Gazette Charities and the Empty Stocking Fund. So So the key changes, a couple of the things, the first one I would love everybody to be aware of is that we changed our URL this year to make it more accessible for everyone. When you think Empty Stocking Fund, of course, what you want to search for is Empty Stocking Fund. Mm -hmm. And our URL is now emptystockingfundco.org. Okay. Easiest place imaginable to find us. Empty Stocking Fund. I'm typing it. Dot co. Just co. Empty Stocking Fund co.org. Dot org. Okay. That's it. There we go. So very easy. We also added the a text to give a mobile platform this year. So you can text ESF, just the letters ESF for Empty Stocking Fund, to 56512 and donate right there on your phone in the privacy of your living room. Okay. Or wherever you hang out most. <laughs> on your phone. Uh, Listening to the go, Little I London I won't go podcast. any further than that. The Little London Show podcast, Jack. Get it right. Come sorry. On. Come sorry. On. Little London dot show podcast. So, um, exciting. Tell, just briefly recap what what the, um, the organizations you guys direct funding to, what does that mean at a, at a ground level? Great. So it's 20, again, health and human service agencies. I actually could quote all 20 of them if you'd like me to right okay. here, but no, you can okay. find them <laughs> on our website day. at emptystockingfundco.org. You have a migraine, I thought. 
I'm getting better just being in your presence. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I will say that the exciting thing about what how we impact these agencies, first off, is that they are gen ops funds that we give them, from the, meaning general operations. So, so many of these nonprofit agencies in our community, when they ask for grants, those grants become directed or attached to certain program. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing they can be used for. It's very valuable for a nonprofit agency to get gen ops dollars because they can use them to keep the lights on, to pay for their staff, whatever they require to get the mission, keep the mission going in our community. Right. And that's kind of a, um, let's just focus on that for a second, because that's a big issue with nonprofits um, going after certain grants and, mm-hmm. and program funding. The, the funding has to specifically be used for that program that's right. with very little, um, like you said, operating costs. Exactly. None. Um, which can c- end up curtailing them because they can't expand out if, as they need to. They can't hire staff. They can't move into a new building exactly. as they grow. Our and dollars, empty stocking fund dollars, are used in any way they see fit. Okay, to move so it's the basically forward. a blank check. Blank check. It's not program specific. It's mm-hmm. so. Do you guys? That's great. Which is why they love. Sure. Being partnered agencies, yeah. Can it also be problematic? Do you see? I'm sure with any other system like that, that there might be some perhaps not say, using it for programming. I would say that any potential problematic issues that you might be thinking of, we take care of okay. because of the fact that we have ongoing relationships with all of these agencies. We do site visits. So they do the final dollars. reports to okay. us. Yeah. This is this is truly a partnership. We okay. have a memorandum of understanding with all the agencies at the beginning of the campaign. They do final reports to all of us. We do site visits as a board. So okay. it's a great relationship that we have with them. And you them. find that model works where you're actually doing um, gen ops funding mm-hmm. with them? We feel like it really works. And I, I feel like it's making the greatest impact in the community that it possibly can so that they can use those dollars to truly help our neighbors in need in any way that they see fit. So what are some of the big organizations that you guys help support? Just throw a couple out there. You don't Karen have to Share, Silver Key, The Place, formerly known as Urban Peak. Tessa. Tessa. Tri Lake Scares. Yep. Peak you don't have to know anybody more. This isn't a contest. No, that's, <laughs> it. that's good. Salvation Army, Red Cross. So a lot of the ones, a lot of the nonprofits in the in town that we would think of as addressing homelessness, uh, domestic violence, Tessa, um, drug abuse. Um, so kind of the ones that are not. I like Indie Give. We we obviously support Indie Give, but Indie Give tends to be in my mind a little bit like oh the cool nonprofits, yeah, that are doing good work but it's we're building new mountain bike trails and we're sure absolutely i mean our specific niche is that these are health and human service agencies so these are the agencies at the forefront of social determinants of poverty Mm -hmm. okay our neighbors in need which is what our mission statement says it says that we spark the giving spirit of the pikes peak region to benefit local nonprofits serving neighbors in need so that's really what we are strictly focused on okay and what does jack do besides Look good over there with this red hair. <laughs> Thank you. I would not be able to to we would not be able to conduct this campaign if it weren't for the staff support given by the program directors at El Pomar. They really are the staff. So this is I mean, it's Jack and another fellow and a senior staff member at El Pomar that are the staff and then a marketing coordinator at the Gazette. That's that is the staff of Empty Stocking Fund. Yeah. So tell us how um, an El Pomar fellow actually I don't think we've actually had an Elpamar fellow on the show. so I'm honored to be the first. You are the first. <laughs> don't be the last. Hopefully not that exactly. <laughs> so tell us what this program is, what it does, um, how you become a fellow maybe, 
Yeah. So the fellowship is a two-year leadership and professional development program where 20% of the program is dedicated to taking graduate level professional development courses in organizational management, nonprofit finance, and having regular meetings with other professional development speakers such as four-star generals or someone to teach us about negotiating. And then the other 80% is dedicated to directing the community stewardship programs inside of El Pomar Foundation and working directly with quite a few grants. So this opportunity is available to um, anybody with a bachelor's degree, preferably recent college grads. Uh, the application is due January 8th for our next year of fellows. They'll start in July. That application can be found on elpomar.org. Um, it's been really a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to meet a lot of people in Colorado Springs, get a lot of access to wonderful podcasts within the community. <laughs> and man, you guys are like, <laughs> oh man. Well, well, this is how we get. This is what pushes us over this year. That's right. That's, that's what right. I've been that's promised. Right. Um, and it's a paid position, right? We're salaried employees. Okay, so it's a nice after college build some experience, some professional development before launching out into the, the career world. Exactly. Okay. Um, and then how do you guys find a program like Empty Stocking Fund, Gazette Charities? So El Pomar has partnered with Empty Stocking Fund since 1999, I believe. 1997. 1997, sorry. We came on with a $200,000 matching grant and provides administrative support as well. Empty Stocking Fund is a sort of unique program for fellows. A lot of the other programs that I'm working on are internal to El Pomar. So working on our regional partnerships program, which is a flagship program of El Pomar Foundation, working with, working to get philanthropy dollars into rural Colorado okay, um, and other internal programs. So do you spend most of your office hours at the Empty Stocking Fund or at, at El Pomar? What does that look like on a day-to-day? At El Pomar. Okay. So this is one of five to eight programs that I'm working on at any one time. Okay. And so and certainly in the campaign season, it's a lot more. It's obviously a lot more time out of the office going to these events. But mm-hmm. during the at, during any typical week, um, we'll be working on empty stocking fund as part of a larger smattering of programs. Is this your first or second year in the program? Second year. So okay. I started July 2018. Okay. So we always have a first-year fellow and a senior fellow, and Jack is our senior fellow this year. Okay. Yeah. And then is the idea with the fellows that you're trying to make connections here to stay in Colorado Springs, or is it just more of a broad-based professional development program? Uh, it's sort of both. The intention is really to develop future leaders of Colorado. Mm-hmm. I believe that the website mission statement touts developing future leaders in public, private, and nonprofit sectors that stay in Colorado. It develops a lot of ties to get the fellowships you have to have. I I believe the language is a strong connection to Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised in Denver, went to Colorado College, graduated in 2018, and always intend on spending a large part of my life in Colorado. Got it. You chose Colorado College out of a the uh, options in Denver? No DU? I you? grew up on DU's campus, <laughs> and so it was difficult to, <laughs> he was ready to think leave. about ah. going to school in my backyard. Yeah, that's fair enough. But for the fellows, it, it is a really unique, up-close, and personal experience with nonprofit management to be part of yeah, the stocking fund, for sure. It gives them a really good look at what nonprofit management and the whole 
body of everything about running a nonprofit, fundraising, everything, they get that experience from partnering with all these agencies during the campaign. Right. And for you, it provides basically um, staff at a huge discount, being zero. Not just staff. (laughs) I would say brilliant vital, energetic staff is what uh, it provides for me. God, you're killing I'm me. so I grateful your, for the relationship like with the fellows. I can't tell you. To come out. So, <laughs> okay, well, give me a few that, minutes. That's, but that's helpful for your end because every dollar that comes into the empty stocking fund doesn't really go toward administrative costs or operating overhead. It doesn't at all. It in fact, 0%. the beautiful thing is 0%, not one so dime. So 1.2 million comes in during and the season. And goes out the door to all 20 out. agencies. Okay. That's right. Which again, not to pick on IndieGive, but IndieGive, they're raising money. That is not, a lot of those nonprofits use that funding, I would imagine, for general operating costs. I think we are unique in the way that we have the opportunity because of our partnerships with right. these large foundations. And just how you're funded in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. To say that we can give every single dollar raised to That's the agencies directly. Yeah. Um, and then the other, I will add one more piece that I think I love about this campaign, and that is that because of the matching partnerships with El Pomar and Bruni Foundation, both, mm-hmm. every dollar donated becomes about $1.45. Oh, okay. So it instantly grows by half. So it's a, a, hmm. a great way to make an impact with your money is knowing that 100% of it's going to go right to the agencies and that it already grows by about half when you give it, Okay. which is pretty exciting. Interesting. So with the nonprofit, I'm going back to Jack. I'm just fascinated mm-hmm. by this. <laughs> with the nonprofit management piece, are, are you talking about management at the leadership level or you know, board interaction, how all of that intersects? Like where are you guys actually gaining experience in that realm? Really across the board. Um, there are quite a few... Is it a pun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there are quite a few fellows that have the opportunity to be on nonprofit boards around the community. Okay. Um, and then we're working really on all levels. We're doing a lot of administrative things. I obviously have the opportunity to do quite a bit of admin for Empty Stocking Fund. Um, and then throughout the other programs, there's a lot of different pieces that touch the base level of working at a nonprofit, understanding really intimately the funder's side of the mm-hmm. funder nonprofit um, relationship. And then we're taking um, graduate level nonprofit management classes and um, nonprofit finance classes. Who are the classes through? They're through uh, former, so Kathy Robbins is a former professor at UCCS. Okay. And she's now at El Pomar Foundation teaching those classes and then others okay. with comparable experience in it's finance. Like Trump University nonprofit level classes. <laughs> not no. quite. He doesn't have a great relationship with nonprofits. Yeah. No, he doesn't. None um, at all. None at they all. actually <laughs> also get a lot of great speaking, you know, experience in the fact that with our twenty agencies during actually leading up to the campaign, not during, we do presentations to all of their boards. Mm-hmm. So these twenty boards and the fellows go and make those presentations to the boards, which okay. is great. So they have interaction Very directly cool. with these twenty boards. Yeah, that's a ton of ground level experience. Mm -hmm. What are your big takeaways as far, like what are you seeing with your interactions with nonprofits that are kind of eye opening or a bit surprising to you? Well, I've worked, all of my jobs have been in nonprofit. So before this, I worked at Colorado Trust doing a lot of um, data gathering and I worked at community CPCD giving kids a head start. I worked doing a lot of focus groups and data gathering for them as well. And so... At the administrative level more, right? I mean, right. you're not interfacing with board members with EDs as much in that Correct. role. Right. And then in this role, I very much very am. Very much am. Right. And so 
I I don't know. I mean, surprising has sort of been the. It's been interesting to get the perspective of a funder and sort of see, be on the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know that I have specific surprising takeaways other than a better insight into how those conversations go, what those conversations look like. Mm-hmm. Do you find it difficult to kind of, I don't want to say pick winners and losers, but decide who to fund and how much? Do you, do you see that as a, a difficult thing on a day-to-day basis for a lot of these funding nonprofits? Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting philosophical question on where these different foundations stand. So mm-hmm. a lot, every different foundation has a different theory on how to best make an impact in the community. Is any of that theory based on statistical information or actual data, or is it more of a internal philosophy based on the ED or the board? Do you see a mix of both? Yeah, I, mean, I think I can only speak speak to my experience at El Pomar Foundation, where a lot of it is related to relationships with um, donors, with um, grantee recipients. Okay. I just I'm curious about that as a broad you know when we're talking about some of the the charities that mm-hmm. the empty stocking fund is helping if we're giving to these nonprofits and they're utilizing models that aren't tested or are aren't as data driven perhaps um, maybe it's not making as big of an impact as we would hope or that they could otherwise be. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes into, not for Empty Stocking Fund, but if I speak for, I mean, if I wear my hat for Gazette Charities, which acts as a foundation, you know, mm-hmm. in Southern Colorado, funding um, Anschutz Foundation dollars, that so much of that is built into the application process mm-hmm. and the relationship mm-hmm. you build with yeah. the recipient as they go through the application process, the okay. way that you vet them and the site visits and the questions that you ask and, and all of the due diligence that you do as you're leading up to the point where your trustees make the decision okay. to give that grant. So there's, It's very relational. It's relational, but not, again, not as data-driven. or. I think sometimes it, it, it is because so much of the application process is about their outcomes measures. Okay. And them being able to substantiate their outcomes measures for what it is they're trying to do and how they're trying to move the needle in the particular area that they work. Is that outcome measurement standardized in any way? No. I mean, that's a huge level of conversation around, yeah. especially at the grantor level, it's difficult to justify giving somebody, say, a $10,000 grant and then them needing to dedicate $2,000 of that to measuring exactly. what the other 8000 do. So it's a, a very difficult thing to measure it's very expensive to hire a larger sure nonprofit contracting firm or to institute the internal structures to measure that so yep. it's very much across the board very much depends on the grant the program the size of the organization mm-hmm. with a lot of government grants like very large um call it a block grants mm-hmm. there will be mandatory right. reporting levels and you'll okay. need some sort of consulting okay but not standardized, and I think is a big topic of conversation currently among and funders. Mm-hmm. among funders and mm-hmm. the funded around mm-hmm. how to see do that. a lot of the dollars being justified by kind of reports um, or even data that's not um, gathered in the most accurate or comprehensive way. It, a lot of the a lot of these reports could just be kind of fluff pieces. Well, I think that that's on the funded to do their due diligence, due diligence and make yeah. sure exactly. that they're okay. yeah. to really dive into that. Yeah. Okay. I know that with regard to what Jack's talking, I, I cannot for the moment remember which foundation, but there is a foundation in Colorado that functions, I believe, out of Denver who actually is in the practice of 
when they begin the grant process with someone, they go and actually write a check for a thousand or two thousand dollars to do exactly that to cover the staff time for the due diligence mm-hmm. to make the application, mm-hmm. which I think is an extraordinary um, yeah. example for right. funders to take a look at. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. area. I just a lot of um, there's a lot of perception of success, perhaps more than actual measurable success with a lot of these programs or I could see that being an easy uh, or not an easy but a problem in trying to figure out the the wheat from the chaff so to say well I mean uh, of course y- they keep great records I mean our mm-hmm. the certainly I can speak to the 20 agencies we work with which we really do feel like these are the top of the you know, yeah, best, the in, heat, class best in class in health mm-hmm. and human service agencies for sure. Um, Are but you guys I, constantly evaluating this group of 20? every year? Okay, every single year. Do you move yes. some in and some out every year? We have. There's been a, a time when some have been moved out because of just where they were in their fiscal, mm-hmm. you know, structure and their health and overall sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're always working to raise more money so that we can possibly, we've got these great 20 now, but there are certainly areas in the community where there are newer agencies that have come along in the last four or five years that are doing some significant things. We'd love to be able to add them to the empty stocking fund campaign. It just means we need to raise more money, which is why we're here. <laughs> That's right. All right, we're going to take a yeah. quick break. We have a little London show. We'll be right back. Hey there, this is Deanne Roberts. I'm the editor of Rocky Mountain Food Report, and I just wanted to ask, take a minute and come check out RockyMountainFoodReport.com or our social media outlets. Um, We are covering all things craft in Colorado and focusing on the Rocky Mountain region. So if you like to eat and drink, which I think you do, come and take a peek. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Darcy. Did you know the Little London Show was recorded at R&D Studios in downtown Colorado Springs? That's right. Podcast studio right on Tejon, where you can start your own podcast today. Check out podcos.co to find out more about R&D Studios. At Blank, our idea is to provide truly great coffee, food, and especially service to everyone. It's about being approachable, genuine, and letting what we do speak for itself. We bring in high-quality, responsibly-sourced coffees, and we use organic and local ingredients whenever possible. We focus on quality, seasonal offerings of our house-made donuts, sandwiches, soups, bowls, and toasts. We provide seriously great coffee and food without taking ourselves too seriously. We hope you'll check us out and see for yourself. If you're looking for insight, news, and entertainment surrounding our local and regional craft beer scene, tune into the Focus on the Beer podcast. In any given episode, we delve into the new beer trends, do blind taste tests, and keep you up to date on all the best beer festivals so you can find your next beer easier. Listen in today on iTunes and SoundCloud. Hi, this is Dottie with Heart Song Thrift Shop. Heartsong Thrift Shop is especially designed for your pets. We carry gently used and new pet gear for your furry friends. We depend on your donations and are able to do pickups now. Please find us on Facebook to get in touch with us. That's Heartsong Thrift Shop. Thank you. Now we're back with a little learning show. I am Jeff, in case you stations during a podcast. I'm here with uh, Deb Mahan from Gazette Charities and Jack, a program director at the El Pomar Foundation, who is um, serving in servitude with Gazette Charities <laughs> to provide cheap I overhead. I him. Yes. <laughs> um, so we were just talking about measuring impact uh, before we broke, and you mentioned um, 
during the break that when you actually took over, mm-hmm. um, you asked these 20 nonprofits how they're to actually measure impact. Right. We wanted to look at collective impact numbers, like right. what really is the impact of this campaign, if you will, in the mm-hmm. community, and what would happen if these 20 agencies went away. And what was so exciting was to find out that in a year's time, these 20 agencies touch over 250,000 lives. And you used the phrase dedupe. Well, we were asking for unduplicated numbers. Okay, so tell me about why that would be a problem with measuring impact. Well, so here, with and in fact, it is very complicated because we wanted to make sure that we were talking about how many individual lives they touch, not how many times somebody walks through the door for services. Because that could be you know, six or seven hits in a month's time. Okay. We wanted individual lives. Okay. So that's what we were counting. Not how many, you know, per se meals are given, but how many individual families, how many individual people. And the difficulty there is that these 20 agencies so beautifully collaborate with one another. Mm -hmm. There are some numbers within that 250,000 that may be someone who gets services from, say, Care and Share and from Silver Key. Okay. So there's no way to control from that. There wasn't in the research that we did. But, but you're not yeah. counting the person that's coming to Care and Share four times a month Absolutely as that four different exactly. unique people that's right. or impact. That's it's only one, one person. person. That is okay. one person. Exactly. And that's what we were really trying to control for. Okay. So that we could say, here's how many lives are affected in a year by these 20 agencies. Right. And to me, that is significant because when you look at those numbers and the population of our city, mm-hmm. It means, I believe, that anyone living in the El Paso County and Teller County areas can say, probably with some certainty, someone I know or love is going to be touched by one of these agencies in their lifetime. Sure. One of the amazing things about that is how wide these services are. It's really serving infants to the elderly. Mm-hmm. And end-of-life care, considering that we have yeah. Peak, Pikes Peak Hospice as well. Yeah. Yeah. From, from birth to death, yeah. there's a very good chance that someone was touched by one of these agencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which brings up a broader philosophical question as to whether foundations are the most appropriate funders for these types of services. And I think it's an interesting question to look at the social services provided. I think if, if it's funders or if it's direct service providers, what is the interplay between the nonprofit sector and the public sector with regard to social welfare? Mm -hmm. Do you find that the trend has been more of a push off onto nonprofits to take care of the social welfare piece in the the United States? I don't know that I can speak to the whole United States, but in El Paso (laughs) County, I think that... um, All right, bring it back local. Fine. (laughs) Fine, Jack. (laughs) What? Well, Paso County has a lot of nonprofits yeah. that are serving an incredibly wide range of society. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's, I don't know enough to speak eloquently or factually to tax codes and how taxes have changed and how funding has changed in El Paso County since I've been here over the past couple of decades. But we've passed one tax increase, and that was for roads. Yeah, and that's exactly. about it. Mm-hmm. That was the, the first tax increase mm-hmm. in what, 20 years, maybe? Oh, easily. Yeah. I think. Our property yeah. taxes generally are below um, both national and state averages mm-hmm. um, relative to property value. Our sales tax is high. Um, we underspend on parks and human services mm-hmm. and generally. Um, Thus, the nonprofits yeah. that are filling that yeah. gap for exactly. services. Exactly. spend on city council yeah. salaries. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, we have these nonprofits filling these gaps. Do you think that the, is it the appropriate 
is there enough cohesion among this group of 20 and I sh- we, we shouldn't use these in isolation but is there enough mm-hmm. cohesion with the nonprofit community that we're not letting people fall through the the gaps you know if someone's coming into care and share for food mm-hmm. presumably they might be uh, at risk of losing housing is there right. Uh, right. is there integration so that they're reaching into these housing first I can speak to these 20, and I will tell you that they partner beautifully together, that there is so much collaboration between them in terms of getting people the direct services that they need and the referrals to other services that they might need. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that it's happening all across the board in the nonprofit sector in this community, but Mm -hmm. I will say, compared to communities I've lived in prior to this one, and it's been a long time since I've lived anywhere but this community, but it is much more collaborative among the nonprofit sector than anywhere else I've ever seen. Okay. Interesting. A lot less siloed. And one of the great things about Empty Stocking Fund, especially with these 20 agencies, is that it brings them together. We have roughly quarterly meetings where we're a big focus of that is building relationships between these organizations. Mm Mm-hmm. And they have reported to us at the end of each campaign that that sometimes is the highlight of the campaign for them, is that their participation as a partner agency is the collaboration and the relationships that they build with the other nonprofits within the campaign. Okay. So they're building more of a relational network that can also help expand their reach. Mm-hmm. And their, okay. Hmm. Um, going back to the, the numbers again, I'm, just, I'm sorry I'm focused in on this. Okay. Um, You're a numbers guy. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, the the impact measurement where you're specifically requiring these nonprofits not to duplicate their numbers, do you find that in nonprofit reporting world that numbers are more often duplicated than not? Is that more of a problem when you don't specifically require them to segregate No, I don't think so. I think it just was us being clear about the question we were looking for, which was individuals served. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think for the most part, that's what these agencies are generally asked to serve, although I'm sure there are times when they're asked to serve to give numbers on just moments of service and okay. not individual people, like how, how many, many meals, times, right. how many yeah. you know visits to a shelter. You right, know, right. I'm sure there are places where they're asked those kinds of numbers. Okay. Sure. So it was good for us to distinguish what we were looking for. Okay. What do you see as the biggest limitation on the empty stocking fund as what are your difficulties we're talking about all this like happy rainbows and unicorns what are the heart what's the hard part here i think the only downside that i see is in having such an extraordinary legacy we have a 35 year history in this community that's that's unbelievable to to have a year-end campaign that has lasted 35 years and is still as strong as it is and having the impact is a pretty good legacy the only downside of that is that you have your donor base becomes then sort of legacy donors. They're people who've been with you a very long time, right. and it becomes a little bit more challenging to reach a younger donor base, to, to hit those people who have been living here forever and just haven't heard about it or don't know about it, mm-hmm. or are young and coming out of college and have no idea that there's this long legacy campaign going. And so that's been a lot of our focus in the last couple of years has been really how to activate a younger donor base. You should just drop the Gazette off the... The whole naming part. Well, that's why we're bringing in the Little London Show podcast. <laughs> that would be it, precisely. Uh, that is an interesting issue, though. You're not drawing in... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm kicking you under the table. Uh, you're not drawing in these potentially... Are you guys tracking donor ages? We are beginning to this year. It hasn't okay. been done historically, but we are beginning to. Okay. Um, 
that'll be interesting data. I wonder, you know, we're just not the generation anymore that are, are subscribing to the Gazette. And a lot of the, the marketing, I would imagine, is through the Gazette itself. Yeah, but the the other interesting piece of that is that the Gazette is not just the newspaper. The Gazette is a media platform. I mean, our digital platforms become larger than our than our paper subscriptions. Right, right. I mean, so in terms of having opportunities to engage a younger donor base through the Gazette's, you know, media platform, there's plenty of opportunities for that. We, we've done a great job this year with Facebook. We've done a great job with Instagram. I mean, we we are doing things to activate mm-hmm. and engage a younger donor base. It, I don't think we're just dependent at all just by virtue of the fact that Gazette Charities is one of the founding, you know, foundations. Right, right. We're not limited, I don't think, in any way by that. Is Twitter Jack's domain since he's like the, what, Gen Z, Gen I? What are you? Gen Z, we've transitioned that to the first year fellow, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Last year's year's wonderful social media campaign Youngest Elpamar fellow in has to handle the social media platform. Okay, got it. God, that would be... You have to understand the basics before you can (laughs) run, to mix my metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) Got it, got it. Okay, so how do we um, donate if we're curious or would like to donate to the Empty Stocking Fund and become one of your new young young donors? You see, you guys should have a new young donor contest. There you go. Like a a cool party at the end for the young donors. Cool party. We've we've been in conversations about how to have the coolest party of the community. (laughs) The coolest. We'll we'll report back as soon as we've cracked that egg. Yeah, let us let us know. We'd be happy to push it out on the the coolest. (laughs) We'll be sure you you know. Yeah, yeah. So there are four different ways to give. Lots of different ways to engage um, donating to Empty Stocking Fund. You can visit our website at emptystockingfundco.org. You can text, again, ESF to 56512. You can call directly if you just aren't interested in taking the time to work with a donor page on a website and you just want to call someone and have them take your donation over the phone. Angel would be happy to take your call at 719-476-4817, I believe it is. 4816, sorry, 476-4816. 719-476-4817. Oh, we're looking it up. I, have to ca- I, can't I like how you're looking at your unpaid labor to, <laughs> for the, the Look, phone number. Paid, but just not through, because that charities. Right, right, right. So more of your dollars go to the the 20 actual charities instead of the Jack's pocket. Exactly. Very few go to my pocket, unfortunately. They're going to So now you've distracted me, because I was in my, oh, I was talking about my <laughs> three, w- four ways to give. And the fourth way, which You I didn't even give me the phone number yet. I'm giving it to you right now. This is riveting podcast this is content. terrible that I don't have it memorized, because I have mine memorized. Jack, did going to Colorado College make you more politically conservative or more politically liberal? Or did you just remain the same? I think there's sort of a curve of very, very liberal and then less liberal, which still made me ultimately more liberal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But not as liberal as I was at my peak of CC. Which was when you had dreadlocks and... <laughs> when, when I stopped showering. I would love yeah. to see yeah. him that way, actually. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. When you put on a, like a button-down shirt with long sleeves, was that the sign that you were less liberal than your... When I tied my first tie. Was well, when I yeah, knew. okay, perfect, yeah. What did you major in at Colorado College? Political science and Spanish. Oh. Did you do any study abroad? Studied abroad in Cuba. Oh, you did? In 2017. I was there for four months in Havana. And what year? 2017. My wife and I were there in 2016. Nice. Yeah. What'd you think? 
Uh, wow. I mean, we could just do a little side podcast on Cuba. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought that that form of government, whatever that is, is not working. Um, can you take it away from the embargo? Can you say that? What do you mean by that? In looking Separated. at the current state mm-hmm. of Cuba, is can you really judge just the form of government without taking into consideration the No, embargo? that's, that's embargo. a great point. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're certainly economically strangled by the embargo. Yeah. Um, there's a vibrant ent- entrepreneurial spirit there. It, yeah, very um, much so. Which was pretty cool to see. We brought back, actually, a lot of um, things made by like the new businesses cool. that were yeah. there. Um, the food was fascinating, but there was also very yeah. like, we were at a beach town and the, the town cop came and drank beer and slept on the beach for nice. his whole shift. And then mm. after his shift was over, just got up and went back to work. So oh my interesting things like that. It felt a little bit like poverty tourism when we were there mm-hmm. um, because Havana is this, it's simultaneously very, built up and like kind of a city but you're walking past old you know mansions that are now just like 20 people living in there in hammocks right and none of the, nothing has really been maintained right since 1959 right yeah it's a fascinating country that's that's a separate podcast we don't have to talk about that that's interesting that's cool you did that so you can call if you want a real person to talk to you and take your donation over the phone at 719-476-1673 one six seven three. Four seven six one six seven three. Okay. And the fourth way to give is you can give a gift of stock or an IRA distribution. Okay. And if they if you're interested in doing that, you can contact Pikes Peak Community Foundation by calling Shelby at seven one nine four four five zero six zero one. So I think we're gonna wrap it up unless Jack has any other young insights from Gen Z. Not yet, but I look forward to the next invitation to the podcast. All right, perfect. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Deb and Jack from Gazette Charities. Look to support the Empty Stocking Fund. We'll try to get this up on the website so you guys know where to donate and look for more information. We are The Little London Show. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. The Little London Show is a production of Little London Media. Produced by Producer Daniel, researched by Researcher Tim, and your hosts are Jeff and Darcy. Recorded at R&D Studios, located in downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado. Get more information and links at littlelondonshow.com.